Hey, welcome back to the uh, It's Good Life Bay podcast. Jeff and Joel, stories from New Orleans. Um, Jazz Fest this weekend. It's, yeah. Uh, it's Monday. We're recording on a Monday night. I just got back from a crawfish boil uh, that a buddy of mine does in between Jazz Fest weekends. It's pretty good. But a long weekend. How were they? How were they? They were good. Yeah? They were a little more sweet than spicy, which was really like they were rich, the crawfish, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. You seem a little pensive in your response. Yeah, they weren't. Know, they weren't top notch. They were good, and I didn't spend a lot of time over there. I like, I was playing around with the kids and frisbee and, oh, right. and trying to beat people at this frisbee game and diving around and stuff. It was fun. Cool. Mostly, I was just I, I wasn't looking forward to it because I didn't want to be out in the sun again after I've got the brass pass, so I went to Jazz Fest all three days. Right. After being out there in the sun all three days, it's like the last thing I wanted to do. But fortunately, we had this nice little break in the weather by the time I pulled up. It was when we were out the fly, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the mm-hmm. uptown, Riverbend. Yeah, uh, right by the zoo. Yeah, right by the zoo. Yeah, it was nice. Started this morning just going over to Congo Square, like birthplace of jazz for this big Herbie Hancock thing, uh, jazz celebration. That was day. at 6.30 in the morning. It was at 6.30 in the morning. totally weird. Yeah, and I, I, <laughs> I was, I was going to talk about this, but uh, I didn't go out last night because I had to work today, and also I wanted to, and I wanted to be able to get a good night's sleep and still get up at 6:30, go over to Cong- bike over to Congo Square, see Herbie Hancock, Terrence Blanchard, uh, you know, uh, Mitch Landry, our mayor, was there, who introduced Harry Shearer, who introduced Herbie Hancock, who then brought out Bill Summers, who was in his Headhunters band. Sure. They brought out Noka Kids. Uh, Kermit Ruffins came out and did a tune. Tremaine Brass Band did a tune. There were like five television camera crews there that were broadcasting this thing all around the world. Uh, like uh, over 100, 150 other countries were participating. What? Uh, Herbie was getting on a plane from New Orleans to do, he did Sunrise in New Orleans and he was doing Sunset in New York with Wynton Marsalis and a whole other host of jazz people they're local to New York. Yeah, it was nuts. It's basically a, a new holiday. It's going to be April 30th every year. Huh. Uh, I came, what was it called? Like International Jazz Day. International IGD. Jazz Day. Happy Ajity. Happy Ajity. <laughs> Happy Ajity. And you, uh, you, were, you were at the first one. Yeah, I got up at uh, 6.30 and I had, um, the night before, I just had been at the Jazz Fest all day. I thought, you know what, I'm going to eat a Percocet, a painkiller, mm-hmm. and just have a couple beers and make some nice food and watch the NBA playoffs, which is a nice thing about Jazz Fest, too, is that the NBA playoffs are on at night if you don't feel like going out. Mm-hmm. It's watching that crazy Clip, Clippers historic comeback against the Grizzlies. It's the second biggest comeback ever in playoff history. Oh, I heard about that this morning. Yeah. It was sick. Just nuts, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm, well, it was... It was to hear the uh, the losing coach's voice today on ESPN, I forget yeah. his name, but uh, he, you know, it was just, I mean, you know, that that's the kind of thing that can it can just lead to a sweep. Well, sure, and I'm sitting here talking to BTS, Bill Tom Scott, who's visiting. We were watching the first half. The Grizzlies were up. They were demolishing them. And I thought, you know what, teams can't sustain this. You can't get out to a big lead like that. Uh, an NBA team is always going to make a run if there's at least a half left. It's always going to happen. And particularly when you're, the way Memphis was winning was by and large they were just hitting jump shots. At some point that shit's going to cool off. And then I kept saying this to Bill, I kept saying this to Bill, like, hey, I'm smart, watch, I'm going to be right. But then 
eight minutes left, they're still up by like whatever it was, 27. I'm like, well, Jesus, why am I even still watching this? I can't believe the Clippers can't do anything. And then they chipped away. I was super stoned on the Percocet. And, um, and how did that, Coral. because you're a huge NBA fan too. Yeah. How did that affect like what, what was clearly a historic game that was happening before your eyes? It was beautiful. I mean, I just don't remember it very well. But right. at the time, I thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> it's like a perfect storm for me. It's kind of the whole meaning of drugs. Well, yeah, kind right of. There. And then my whole bag was like, I want to chill out. There's only so much I was drinking. Uh, I was just nursing what I call whisk teas uh, at the right. fairgrounds. Right. Where I bring a little flask. You know, a lot. Because you don't want to be drunk out there. You don't want to come home. You don't want to be out in the sun and drunk I don't think you know for a bunch of days in a row but around two o'clock I'd get my rose mint large tea unsweetened and I'd put about mm-hmm. it's about a 40 out 48 ounce drink I'd put about three or four ounces of whiskey in there right and I do two of those one at one at two and one at 5 30 right so but it's, then you drink some beers afterwards and uh, I was just looking to, ch- to, to feel something different, Jeff. I just wanted right. to feel different. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to be able to get a good night's sleep so that I could get up in the morning. And it backfired because I took him kind of late because I was waiting for Bill Tom Scott to get back. I so there was like the a game. Percocet hangover. Well, pills have a, what they call a second phase. You can Google it. They got right. a second phase. Uh-huh. And, and, and so they'll kick back in. Uh, particularly the, the the narcotic pills, right? And maybe it's just the narcotic pills, but uh, so I get up and I, for whatever reason, I decide at the last second I'm gonna wear pants and a button down and a tie to this thing. And I get out like my groovy tie, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, then jump on my bicycle, <laughs> and we bike the mile over to uh, Armstrong Park. And something about the sweating and not drinking any water when I woke up, I got out there and it was just, I was about to fall out, dude. You know, it was just really shaky. Mm. Uh, but I went out and I found a water fountain and drank at the water fountain for like two, uh, like an odd an odd amount of time. Like people were like, "What's is this dude okay? He's been at the water fountain for four minutes drinking." <laughs> there's a bunch of people around with your groovy tie. And I got my nice clothes on, but I look good on the outside. So everybody were you taking? Uh, uh, pauses in between like and letting other people go and then jumping back in no i, I and then eerily down. standing by no i sucked, sucked down the water down? for four straight minutes i think <laughs> yeah it, it, wow yeah yeah so that was fun but yeah jazz fest uh the other thing i did out there uh, as far as like c- consumption goes which was i thought was kind of interesting and it just i didn't plan it um on Friday, I ate nothing but pineapple out of the OZ tent, mm-hmm. and also had pineapple for breakfast at home, uh-huh. and then raw oysters. And I just thought that was funny. I wasn't—I didn't even realize this, but but Bill had said, you know, you know, pineapple makes your jizz taste good. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, oysters makes you want to have sex. It was just a funny like. It's the ultimate sex combo: pineapples like, and oysters. It was like a sex diet. It's kind of what it is, you know. Um, I used to work for this rich guy, man, who would always, every time we would, like, hack up a pineapple. He, uh, and, and that's a story I'm going to have to tell. So we should jot that down when we're done here. What is it? Yeah. Well, stories of 
tales from when I worked for this rich guy. Because mm-hmm. there's some classics. You that told are me there. a couple. Yeah, right. Do exactly. That, get into that for sure. Yeah, but uh, so he he always used to go like he'd be drunk and he he just say, you know that pineapple is a diuretic. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, it makes you pee. And he's like, that is commonly referred to as a diuretic. <laughs> I was like, I, I get it. That's what I just said. It makes you pee. Yeah. Right. That's it's like, why are you repeating right. what I just said? Yeah, well, because he was loaded all the time. Right. You know? That's the way you had a conversation. He'd say something, you just feed it back. It was just circuitous like that constantly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is that way. And, and in his mind, it always meant that I was stupid. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, that's classic. Um, so, yeah. So, a little jazz fest. We were, uh, I saw you on Saturday. Because I had this, I mentioned on the previous podcast, I got this brass pass because my buddy got one and he's staying with me. And right. So we're going every single day. Yeah. And, and, the, and it was crowded out there, man. I really enjoyed being able to step outside. On Saturday, I, uh, I stepped out and walked over to the Fairgrounds Coffee Shop on a hunch that you'd probably be there. And, and there I am. And there you were with, uh, with uh, Alvin, your yeah. buddy. Yeah. And this dude, Danny, uh, who I had known from Portland and sort of from New Orleans as well. Like we knew each other as the two guys who bounced back and forth from Portland and New Orleans. See, that's a trip, man. Because that guy's, I mean, I don't want to say he's ubiquitous in New Orleans, but I mean, just like, yeah, pretty much. If, you're, if you go to a few coffee shops, you know, or like, just like duck into a couple of like bars, you know, that are like, uh, you know, some certain type of people are hanging at, you know, he pokes his head in. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, and he's a talker, you know, and so he want he'll, he'll, he'll just engage you in some kind of thing. Yeah. He didn't recognize me because I was wearing my mailman cap and my shades, but right. I'll get back to that. But <laughs> it was just funny because the jazz fest is so crowded and so you know, and then and, and so now we're, I'm out at the fairgrounds, and it's just like the three of us, and it was it was like a zombie movie, man. It was like post-apocalyptic on that street at that time because everyone's in the fairgrounds. There wasn't a lot of activity. There was no one in the coffee shop inside, and of course we were like grabbing. <laughs> when I walked up, you had just brought food back from the little grocery market. Yeah, Tico's. that's right. And mm-hmm. then I had gone and gotten us a couple of beers. Yeah. And they weren't d- having anything from the coffee shop. And then we're sitting there right next to the sign that says, please, no outside beverages or food. And you guys are, and the impression Which is I hilarious, g- too, because I know that he put that up specifically. For Jazz Fest. Because right? he knew, like, oh, Jazz Fest is coming. I need to really make a point that, like, if you're going to take up the space where my customers are supposed to be. But it's like, look, dude, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you're from, and you ran a- Acorn and all that shit. And this whatever. new owner. This I is the guy I, that I got, got in trouble with about the acorn thing. Okay, so I got a sense He's the that, one that you guys feel like you own that coffee shop. That's the sense I got kind of hanging out. Yeah, but I've... Or have I, ownership, I, you know, in the... Well, well at least, the like, the sidewalk. I mean, that's a big thing in that's New Orleans true. where it's like, it's like, yeah, you have a business, and your second-floor balcony wraps around the sidewalk with the posts facing the street right you know but what's underneath that balcony is publicly paid for sidewalk space and just because you put a just table because you here. put a table and some chairs out there and doesn't mean that any rapscallion can't just come around and freaking sit down and so that's what we were you doing. know and we were doing that but it's also testimony uh, to that is that that place uh, uh i refer to it as the the nut house yeah you know, because uh, the previous owners refused to do anything about controlling this, like, 
just just a, a steaming cauldron of wayward souls right. that uh, wish to inhabit it, and, and a lot of whom are mentally unstable on, on some level or another, yeah. and uh, they want to engage you in conversation constantly, and, and they're bothersome and annoying, and, and they're ubiquitous because they don't have anything else to do sure. with themselves. And it was so bad for, for, for so long. I just repudiated it after a while. I just said, I'm, I, I cannot go to this place anymore because uh, the level of interaction that I have to engage in every time when all I want to do is get in, buy a cup of coffee, and then jet because I have stuff to do. It's, Lots still, of it's stuff. still hard to do that. Just maybe the crazy people gone, but they still got your regulars who definitely want to bend your ear. Well, no, but they're 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 the crazies are. Well, there's both. There's both. And anyway, we were playing that role of the regulars who want to bend your ear at that but moment. At that moment, but I'm I'm not a regular there anymore. Yeah. I only go there when I'm doing laundry. Right. Right. Now, you know, that's it. And and that's like once. Every well, seven it, was, or eight it days. was fun to step away from that, and and everyone there at the table having been jazz fest regulars you've been gone since 1984 1980 it's either 83 or 84 i want to say yeah of course alvin and alvin also does some work in the music business too right i mean as far as like production He's like and con convention well sure a little bit production. yeah and then yep. uh, danny's obviously danny out of jazz fest and everyone you know was, you guys were you know, kind of right it wasn't a great day out there you had tom petty kind of taking over the acura stage and taking over the festival and you know, even if you're a Tom Petty fan, like I am, you can't really enjoy the experience over there because they're, you know, we'll get to this maybe in a minute because I don't want to depart from the coffee shop yet, but the Jazz Fest has this no sellout policy. So, and sometimes it can lead to, to crowds that are just insanely and just out of control. But, you know, the, my point with the Acura stage is that I like it because all the douchebags go over there. And Alvin was kind of ripping on the sort of baby boomer generation. And yeah. I had just been talking about how, you know, I think you should just be able to like, I should be able to randomly kill people when their chairs are too big or too awkwardly configured. And with this, we bitched about this chair thing. And it was so out of control this, this year, just jazz fest. It was just, and it, it, not only at the Acura stage, but the Congo stage too. Never seen anything like it. The, the promoters completely lost control of it. I don't know if I'm a fire marshal. I don't understand how I let these guys. Now I'm getting off into the diatribe, but it's right. you know the there's 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 chairs at the Congo Square all along the racetrack, which is the walking thoroughfare in a place where an ambulance would go or whatever, and all the way to the Porta Lights. You know, if you've been to Jazz Fest like this, it's just sprawling with 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 these with these lounge yeah chairs these these like uh, cheap folding chairs. It's just a scourge, and I want to I want to and and so we were kind of riffing about that, and we were conjuring up like Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now, sending in the napalm, and at well, the yeah, actor stage, and you know because I was pointing out which like gets to a deeper issue is that if the reports are to be believed, uh, in another twenty twenty five years, you know when we're of the age to collect social security, there won't be any. That's right because this generation that is now of that age is so large and vast and all-consuming they're the greatest consumer generation the world has ever known yeah that that basically a, a portion of every day that I work in my life is paying for them to die 
That's right. And that's, that's what so, I'm doing. So the question for them is, when are you going to die? And the question is, when are you, when are you going to, you know, and I mean, we say it in jest, you know, but, but, but there is a, there is a thread of something that's really, really bitter and nasty beneath the entire thing, you know, which yeah. is, which is that, you know, it, it is true that, that there's a very great possibility that all of your effort to prepare your, your own self for your own retirement is going to be consumed by the previous generation and that all yeah. of your life's work paying into that which is every single paycheck that you have ever done in your entire life excuse me that's my phone um is 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 basically paying for this generation well, and also and then this, it's going to be gone and also this, this, this generation <laughs> and they're also taking up all the space at your favorite festival well, and also because of the the hospice and uh, is it hospice industry that baby boomers don't aren't going to have any wealth to leave their kids because it's all being sucked up into them growing old and staying alive too long well and i could get into the stereotype of it being the selfish most selfish generation and and this and that i mean all that's well, been trotted they, out a well, gazillion times they certainly know? don't know how to behave themselves at jazz fest that's Cause, right because what that's they right. do is they go out there and they do what they've done their whole lives they've squatted they've said this is my fucking property i got into jazz fest and i'm taking what's mine and i'm going to sit here all day and not even enjoy what i'm doing it's the point of what I'm doing, not the process of what I'm doing. Yeah, and I did like they're they're waiting for Tom Petty. They don't give a or Bruce Springsteen on Saturday. They don't give a shit about Dr. John by and large. Like probably at least half of them, or a trombone shorty who played. Before no, it's them. far more important for those people to like. They're they're not even in any sense concerned about the greater diversity of all the acts that are at the festival because they're not wandering festival goers. They're far more concerned about cordoning off that small little piece of quote-unquote property right and and what that does is that then they just stay there and they don't care what all the other acts are they're just there to see that one act and usually by the time that act comes on is they're too loaded by that point to even remember what it is that sure. they've seen and 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 that kind of thing what that does to me is that different than a concert for instance like when I went to uh, there was a Slayer Megadeth uh, concert yeah. and Anthrax, yeah. and I went to it last year, man, proudly, and uh, and it, it kicked ass, man. Yeah. But you know, it they had general admission on the floor. If you paid to get on the floor, guess what? Everybody pays the same rate. Right now, you're at a Slayer concert. Okay, you want to get all the way up to the front? Somebody's probably going to get punched in the face along right. the way. That's part of the price. Yeah. All right, <laughs> but the, it's still general admission. Yes. And that's it. You, everyone has an equal chance. There's something inherently communist about that, maybe, that rubs against the grain of your, like, uh, neo-hippie right-wing baby, boomer. uh, baby boomers. Yeah. You know, that, that that's what uh, they don't like about it, you know. And so they're, they're insisting on making it a not, not a general admission show and turning it into a seated show at a festival where they can behave as though they paid more money than you simply because your style of enjoying the festival and your approach to it by going to other stages and enjoying other things is different than theirs yeah so you're now disqualified totally but I, and in their minds maybe i'm some sort of like anarchist because what i do is i you just trample right over i it. never stop moving <laughs> the only time if and I'm, that's the way you have to do it i never stop moving because if i'm at 
I'm always listening to music or going to a place where I'm listening to music. I'm always, and I'm swift. And when I get there, it either sucks me in or it doesn't. And if it sucks me in, I'm dancing. And I'm in completely engaged mentally and physically or spiritually or emotionally on some level. I'm completely engaged. Or maybe it's just there's a really nice breeze. I like there's something about the, it rhythmically the that I like. Where you, and right. I like the moment. I like the feel of the sure. grass, and I like the fact that there's a cloud in the sky. And, and There's something that I'm completely engaged by that makes me stay there. And if there's not something to make me stay there, I move on. And when I move on, I cut across the, the grain of the herd. Well, I've you had know? a long-standing long uh, policy of stepping on anything that's available in any space of real estate that is open sure and and i don't consider that a blanket or or even a chair for that matter oh, is a barrier to my progress I because for me more. the only time i do it is that because i i want i like elbow room and yeah. I, I don't want to be i i don't enjoy it at all when you're in such a crush of yeah. standing people that you know, it, it, it just move. becomes crazy. And not only that, but most of the time I get distracted by people who are also moving through that crowd instead of being in one place and enjoying the music. That and, is the worst. That becomes kind of here. difficult for me. But that's that's where you see the, sometimes I just I can't help but notice this. I mean, I'm, OK, I'm sitting here being engaged, but then I also sometimes get distracted about what other people are doing. And I don't understand that the people who are sitting right next to the thoroughfare where everyone's They've got people passing by them. All you have to do is move five feet to the left, and you're not going to be uh, having people come right past you constantly because right. they're right where right. this little thorough. Yeah. Then, or, or how about the people who you're at one of the stages and there's the uh, delay speakers, and you're right in front of the delay speakers. If you go 15 feet back, you're going to have a better experience. You just have no idea where you're at. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's that's what's happening out there. And then you've got people who are like getting in or obstacles because they have no idea where they're at. It's like, yo, that's a barricade where obviously people are going from house right to house left, and that's meant to be a place for people to go. And you're just standing there. Yeah. I can't help but notice that stuff. And it, it, but by noticing it, allows me to move like I'm off the grid. That's basically it. When I'm out there, I'm off the grid. I am moving in a way that no other person moves like except maybe someone who's in tow with me. Well, and, and, and there's not that many people in tow either, you know I mean? It's a right. long time ago, I have to say that, you, you don't know, let people in, the early, in, in the earliest part of my Jazz Fest experience, I would be hanging with buds from high school and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you know, Can't and I'd it. be in that groupthink mentality. Can't do it. And then by the time I got in college, I just completely left that behind. Yeah. And, and it, I could tell that, like, you know, my uh, foray into individual independence, like, for whatever reason, it, in that groupthink mentality, it ruffles feathers. People, huh. people get, like, mildly upset about this. It's like, what is he doing? Why is he not with us? And I'm like, I don't like this act. And there's other, my musical tastes are moving around now. Exactly. And, and I, I, want, yeah. I want to move. And the other thing is I don't want the encumbrance of the groupthink indecision you know, right. that, that goes on. It's like when I'm going to hit some food, it's like this. I'm leaving you. I don't know where you're going to be. 
afterward. Yeah. Look, you want to meet me at the flagpole? Make a decision now and make it rapidly. Exactly. And, you know, I agree. I, mean, I, I mentioned this in a previous podcast where I'm just kind of a prick to people. They're like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, Jazz Fest, I'm out. You know, I'm walking, I'm gone. <laughs> what's going on? Jazz Fest is going on. Right. How are you doing? I'm at Jazz Fest. Later. You know, right. uh, but as right. far as that whole in tow thing, the reason that I like Bill Tom Scott, he's like my favorite jazz fest buddy is because I can do my thing, that off grid thing where I'm just flying. Because what you sometimes have to do is you're cutting across the, the, the herd that's going along the, the tar, the little pavement thing throughout from stage to stage and they're walking really slow. You have to cut through them. And I don't want to screw with any of them, so I'm just, it's like a game of Frogger, you know? So I'm kind of constantly right, playing right. until I can get to some grass. Right. For whatever reason, people don't like to walk on the grass. <laughs> I don't know what It's a strange is. one, isn't it? It's like you've got all this real estate to move from point A to B, and you're doing this A to Joel, D I used to Joel, I used the grass like a motherfucker. Yeah, me, me too. Only, I used the grass Only when the there's a bottleneck. I'll tell you one place yeah. that I never, I never find myself. Between that crosswalk that comes from the Gentilly entrance and the Gentilly stage. Right. That's the biggest bottleneck in the whole freaking thing. Sure. I never am in between sure. those two spaces right there because there is no green space to get around it. That's right. I'm always cutting across the Fado Doe stage and the place that is typically, it seems like, has some kind of like uh, bug repellent on it, excuse me, is, uh, you know, the Native American village, you know, where it only seems like there's like which four. Is now the, which is now the Jazz Heritage. Or the stage. Jazz Heritage thing, it used right? used to be Native American. It used to be the Which is now my favorite stage, by the way. It is? Oh. The Heritage stage. The Heritage stage. It's just Indians and brass bands all day. I love that. And there's no chairs. And yes. Everyone dances. No all chairs. All the way back to the end. Everyone no dances. No chairs. And you can go up to the front. And come back as That's much right. as you want, man. And it's always, look, every time this weekend where I had a bad taste in my mouth, it happened a few times. Like, I got off to a horrible start on Saturday. Right, the first right. three things I saw sucked. I hated people. I wanted to kill people. And this gets back to the napalming large groups of people and baby boomers. But whenever I needed, like, a, a, a palate cleansing, like some ginger with my sushi, that's the Jazz and Heritage stage. I know I can always go there, spend at least 10 minutes, and feel good about my day. Right, and, I, and I'll tell you moment. the other one too, is the uh, the Lanyap stage that's in the paddock. Sure. Right? Sure. That's one that it's it's also like, there's bug spray on it. Yeah. Right, and for some reason people are like, well, I'm like, uh, can I just point this out? It's a lovely environment. There is one, there's one place in this entire festival that has air conditioning and shade. Right. And right. it's inside the freaking building. Right. And you can go in there and you can listen to some cool ass interviews with some people like Johnny Rivers. Yeah, or you can you know, go up there. Or Dr. And, uh, John. While other right? people are spending 20 if minutes. If you want to cool off. While other people are spending 20 minutes in a, in a portalette line, I'll spend five minutes walking up to the second floor and take a nice dump in an air conditioned bathroom. In an air conditioned with bathroom. With an attendant who's right. handing me a towel. <laughs> Which is just like it's crazy, yeah. and all the best beer is like right there. I know it's it too, it's, man. It's, it's it's so kooky, and they have chairs. That's the only stage other than the uh, the uh, no, I don't not the Fado Doe, but the other one, the, uh, the Economy one. Hall, tent. Well, jazz. Oh, and the jazz. Jazz blues. Oh, and the gospel does too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. All of those do, right? But uh, excuse me, but I mean it's in a shaded it's in a shaded area. And yeah. there, there are good acts that play there. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, when Ego Jubilee played, that's where, that's where we played. But the, but the whole point is, you, 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 you obviously are intimately familiar with all these different options, and you don't want to be hamstrung by 
particularly out of town guests who are experiencing it for the first time, I just tell people straight up, I was like, yo, I can't, I'm not babysitting you. I'll give you some tutorials before we go in and that's it. And I'll tell you where I'm at. But guess right. what? By the time you get to me, I'm going to be somewhere else, usually. Right. I mean, it's rare that an act keeps me at... I had two of those this weekend. They were both on Friday where an act... I've no, I don't think I've ever probably had a day at Jazz Fest out of 150 or how many ever days I've been out there where I've had two acts on the same day keep me there for the entire show. So that was incredible. I'll just... Hmm. You know, the, the, uh, the other son of Fela Kuti. Right. And then also... The grandson. Uh, no, apparently he's he's the younger he's the oh he's the younger son, son. yeah, yeah. Right. there was okay. a lot of talk about what that was that day but uh, and the other was Poncho Sanchez with Terrence Blanchard just doing uh, dizzy Gillespie takes it's incredible but the whole oh, idea Terrence of the Blanchard show, is just a monster fucking he's a monster and you know it's funny you say that because I I've, I have, I've had a personal relationship somewhat with Terrence in the past and because it came out of a working relationship and I considered him a friend still do I guess we don't really hang or whatever but I always liked the guy a lot and um, I think that I talked to a few people about this who kind of agreed that with his own band you don't see him cut loose the way he did at Pancho's direction Pancho Sanchez directed you know uh, Terrence Blanchard to freaking I've never I've just I don't know if I've ever seen him quite play the horn so uh, with so much ferocity yeah Right. You know, for such an extended amount of time. Right. Because uh, with his own comp compositions, what, I, what I've always felt about Terrence's band that I love and with his, his, with his writing and his music is that the band, it's like one sound. You know, there's not a lot of soloing. Or, and when they're soloing, he likes to give, he likes to spread it around. Well, a lot of high-energy Latin music is, uh, it's got a lot of overblowing in it, man. Uh -huh. You know, but it's very skilled. Well, there you go. It's skilled overblowing, you know, like... Uh, 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 what I want to say, not uh, Arturo Sandoval, you know, sure. like a perfect example of that. It's like, you know, where jazz guys are like kind of, you know, the, the notes aren't necessarily as clean. Right. You know, but these are guys that like, man, they work on like cleanliness in between the notes, like to a ridiculous huh. degree. You know, almost in the same sense as guitar players, flamenco players, it's like every note has got to punctuate to yeah. be heard clearly and with resonance, right? You know, and uh, so I think the the philosophy behind uh, uh, what motivates the playing styles is is different culturally. Well, that's you know? interesting because so, I've never I've never heard him play quietly. Like God, that. man, because like Arturo Sandoval, man, like there aren't many guys in the jazz idiom, yeah. even, and he loves jazz. Don't you know? They all, yeah, they they love it compositionally and everything, but it's like. Uh, I don't know that Terrence Blanchard could like play notes as cleanly uh -huh. as Arturo Sandoval. Yeah. Like that's a guy who can hit like a clean high F right. or whatever it is, you know. There's just like a handful of players on earth, huh. you know, who can go into the stratosphere like that and, and really do it uh, where it's even and clear and sure. crisp. What I, what I love about Terrence too is his 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 horn has a warm tone to it, unlike any trumpet I've heard. It just the horn itself seems to have like a personality, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you really, you, you hear that horn and you you know it's Terrence. You know, you always know you're listening to Terrence playing. Right, right, always, yeah. without question. That he's so distinct between he's himself. He's a super cool guy, and man. he's a super cool fucking guy. I used to see him because, you know, his office was at Loyola, man, at the same mm. time that I was yep. there. 
I ran into his wife uh, the next day, and she was, it was nice to run into her. She's super sweet, Robin, and, uh, and their daughter. Oh. I had some funny stories. Oh, nice. I wanna, we're not going to get into this, but I had some funny stories partying with Terrence at the Sundance Music Festival uh, and out in Portland. But the dude's just kind of like, dude could be such a rock star, but he's really super humble. Yeah. But man, people flock to him, and you know, uh, yeah, that's, he's that's he's, all he's quietly been, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's on the scale of like a Wynton Marcellus. I, I agree. You know, and but but he's just not, you know, they they have very different personalities, and and you know, he he just he's super cool. He got he got the uh, Thelonious Monk Institute to come to New Orleans after the storm uh, for a couple of years. Yeah, and uh, and that's how I was able to meet him. And just you know, it's like you don't want to bother celebrities, you know, and people who you know are like really busy and have handlers and stuff like that. You know, yeah. I mean, just I mean, I respect that because he's a really great artist. God, he's so and, busy, and he's super busy, but you know. He's like one of these guys where you just—I'd see him in the hall, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" He's so like, "And it, 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 any rhetorical question that you asked him, he always had a real answer for you." Yeah, no, like I, right I, away, I, which is so cool, man. It's he's like, not, it's not, he's like, I'm tired, you, man. I can I'm tell tired. you, it's not bullshit, too. I mean, I, I my experience with him was working at the Contemporary Art Center. He curated a jazz series that I produced, um, so that's how I got to to know him, and 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 then we subsequently like hung out socially when he was in Portland or again like at Sundance and it's not bullshit he's just that's he is who he is he typically remembers people too yeah that's what I've noticed you know good 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 cat man. yeah good I love, cat I love that dude um but uh so the music was good and um yeah just to bring all that back to the coffee shop you know I just thought it was funny my, my other idea to follow up like we, let's kill the baby boomers at the Acura stage, right. and then at the Gentilly stage, I thought, because I was over there for this band, just real quick. You quickly. just want to nuke the Gentilly stage completely. I do, yeah, uh, but particularly, like, uh, there was Gomez was playing, and Dirty Dozen was sitting in, and there was not one black person out of, like, the 25,000 people that were there. And then the funny thing was, I'm not sure what the dancing man's sort of role is at the jazz fest but he at the very least he, he's, he's some sort of mascot you know the dancing man's the the guy you see at the second line is a black guy is a really good second liner mm -hmm. and he's got the, the the dancing man sachet yeah he's just he's just a he's a master of the new orleans dancing that's right style, and then the second there's, line there's dance definitely style. i saw him around enough where it made me think huh he's getting he might be getting paid as a mascot he's definitely getting free tickets and it mm -hmm. seems like he has some sort of like agenda from stage to stage or some sort of direction right you know or, or at least maybe that could be as loose as hey go everywhere but uh he happened to be over and, he, and he's kind of glad handing and being nice so cultural he, ambassador that's there you go thank you right and uh so he it was just funny to see him over there when i just as i was noticing wow i can't believe this is this is kenabra metri west bank Gretna, Slidell, that's everyone who's at this stage right now. And then Dancing Man shows up, which is like, and he's, you know, Claiborne in Orleans, you know? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. uh, it's just a trip, you know? <laughs> and I thought, well, let's get, let's get the radio. If we're going to do this whole thing where we wipe out a couple of, well, we probably wipe out, wipe out like 60,000 people between the two stages. Let's get the radiators back together out of retirement one last time. 
and have them come That'll out. That'll get them all there and play at the same time. Play opposite Tom Petty. Yeah. And then let's just kill all them people. I'm done. I think we've done the world a service at that point. Both from a financial perspective and just experiential. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah, there'll definitely be a better experience uh, the year after that. It's or the day after. Or just at that moment. At that moment. Yeah. Um, that's right. It's funny too. I was I was splitting back because I kept. A, I had uh, used the bathroom and the girl, the girl at the coffee shop, threw my beer out, and then I came back out and I was trying to race off to Ugh. to get back in there for the last set of acts, and uh, and Danny's like, here, take a. He's he'd been he's trying to pedal these little handcrafted notebooks right. that he makes. I guess. Right. I assume he makes them. I'm guessing. He, yeah, from the look of them. He's pedaling them. Right. And he says, here, guys, I got to go back to the jazz fest. Got to get in there for the last hour and a half. He's like, here, take this to, you know, write down your thoughts. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to write. (laughs) And he looks at me like I'm fucking crazy. A, like I'm fucking with him. And I knew this, you know, anyway. So he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't know how to write. I know how to input data in a computer and on my phone. Like, I know how to type on a keyboard. You know, I don't know how to fucking write. Are you kidding me? And then he goes, he's just, he thinks I'm fucking with him, but then he's like, I can't even, I can't spend more than 30 minutes on a computer. I'm like, I can't spend less than an hour. (laughs) 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 Once I get locked in, dude. (laughs) And uh, it's true that I went on to tell him, I was like, look, the only thing I can write is my signature. And that's a mess. Uh, The other, (laughs) recently my buddy Patrick was out of town true story he asked me uh you know patty uh he he asked me to pick up his work check from this production company he works for and deposited it over at the bank and i'm like he says just you know just forge my signature whatever or just write my signature and it occurs to me i go i'm up there and i'm like i don't know how to write i don't know how to write a p i don't know out of patrick the only thing i can write is the a because that's in jackson (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to write any of the mother freaking word letters you know I told your boy Danny, or I don't know if he's your boy, but told Danny that, and he's just, hey, you know. I just like, couldn't believe it. Yeah, right? it's like we're from different planets. Yeah, yeah, well. You know? But, uh, so yeah, it's a good time out at the Jazz Fest. All together, you know, that, I don't know if you want to get into the, the, the no the no sellout policy. It seems to me, for the Jazz Fest, is potentially going to be a huge problem for them and potentially someone's going to it feels dangerous to me you know well we were talking about the example in 2001 when they had the largest crowd that they ever had on a single day right 160,000 people were surmising that it was uh dave matthews band mm-hmm. and mystical were playing at the same time now what we're saying is that mystical had some kind of backstage dispute with the uh, management of the, with the promoters of the festival about money. about money. And he was 45 minutes late going on stage. Now that's a perfect brew of exactly yeah. what we're talking about, where it's like you're creating an angry mob of people who are disappointed, who've already come paid a lot of money to them to see this show and it's the last show of the day. Yeah. That's the perfect storm. And, you, and, and for me, it's move. not even for you to even, yeah to sit around and uh, think about hypothetical situations of what could possibly occur, you know, because 
anytime you have that number of people together, it's, it's just simply that anything could occur, you know, and, and it, c it can be as simple as uh, somebody, you know, has a fake gun, you know, on them or, or, you know, much less a real gun or something like that. And anything that is that symbolically represents terror or fear to a lot of people can cause a panic at any moment. Yeah. And to not have any free flow um, or, a, or a policy that caps the, uh, the number of people that can come into the festival, then you're, you're really kind of asking for trouble because yeah. there's already massive problems with mobility when it when it reaches a certain point and we were talking about whether or not uh, ambulances can access you know in case of emergency with this no sellout policy and whether it's even manageable you yeah. know and then even it gets to the chair thing where it's like if you don't manage that then you have these like knee-high barriers that are strewn throughout the festival that are creating basically barricades that are not planned that aren't on any map yep. to to that disallow the easy flow and access of, of people who are uh, emergency first responders. Well, the, the interesting thing about 2001, I was I was there, and you had, and I, I was somewhat frightened. Uh, I'll be honest with you, and 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 I talked to two people this weekend because the crowds were kind of getting big enough where it was coming up. Uh, this dude Mario, I don't know if you knew Mario, and then Bill Tom Scott both relayed stories to me that they both got there that they left. And Mario was saying he had a really hard time actually leaving because he had gone to the mystical stage and, and was having felt he didn't he felt like threatened as he was trying to just move through the crowd. Not threatened, but just unsafe because it was so crowded. And you felt like at any moment just things could start swaying and then suddenly there's a trample situation. My experience on that was that what I couldn't believe, because I just I kind of steered clear of trying to get close. And what I thought was interesting at the time from like an anthropological experience was a perspective was that I'd never seen the Congo Square crowd get all the way back to turn two of the horse track. No, turn, it was just turn three of the horse track. So if you, if you've got the back of the Acura and the back mm -hmm. of the Congo Square yeah, is turn three. They're, and they're meeting up. And I don't think the promoters ever thought that Congo Square's crowd could ever get that far back. I think they had probably seen the Acura crowd get back onto the horse track, but not the Congo Square. So now, at turn three of the horse yeah, track, well, you've got mystical fans and Dave Matthews fans like on top of each other. And that's what I thought was a trip that, back then. That is a trip in and like, of itself, but it's like, you you that that also gets to a larger point of like uh lack of understanding on the promoter's part about the the popularity of rap music that's right you know and it's like you're how are you gonna like second tier rap music yeah. at a festival are you insane right they have neo right this year playing on congo square yeah can i just repeat that oh, God, that's man. who's playing congo square this weekend coming up. See, I don't know. I haven't looked. At, I have my note looking at the schedule. And it's like, I mean, I understand that you're. Tr it's like, well, that's. It's an African American artist, and it's like that's just such a lame. I mean, y you got Foo Fighters, and then the Neville Brothers following them, and you've got Neo, on Congo Square. You should flip those. But right you there, can't, you can't put that artist on Acura stage because all them white people won't come out. <laughs> 
I don't know what to do. I mean, Gentile I mean, as a, a festival Gentile. promoter, you're looking for the biggest crowd. Gentile you know, is a white, a white stage too. I know there are these white, there are white stages and black stages. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? There's a racial component to the jazz fest like that. Absolutely, dude. I mean, even from like our two of our so favorite stupid. stages, even the two of our favorite stages that we mentioned. You know, you love the Lanyap stage, which I do too, and I love the Heritage Jazz and Heritage stage. Total racial component there, you know. Right. I yep. mean, you get a lot of like little meek white singer songwriters. It's a little all over the place in the land yet, but by and large, you know, like I walked in there to get some oysters. That's where they serve the raw oysters, and there was this like singer songwriter cellist, you know. Right. And then I go out to the heritage stage, and I understand that you're programming thematically. I get that, but it's just it's a little strange, man. That it it is it is I can't I can't say that it's not you know that's um, that's definitely a strange component. Well, speaking of weird programming, man, I was so bummed. Usually, you know, the one good thing about the Acura stage is that it keeps all the douches over there, and typically I get to see something good in the jazz tent, which is ultimately my favorite tent when the programming is good because I love I, that's what I'm into. I'm into jazz music, and but mostly I'm mostly straight ahead stuff, and they have a freaking gospel band during Tom Petty. I was like, you know, I'm going to go find my solace. I've been in the sun all day. I've been boogieing my nuts off. I they just have a gospel tent. I'd seen all these great shows. That was, oh, was it during, yeah, they have a gospel tent and it was, and I, dude, my jazz is about heroin and sex and sin. You know? I don't want to go into the jazz tent and hear about fucking Jesus. That bums me out. I was, it's like, I was, yeah, scalded. I had emotional yeah. scar tissue after that, man. Well, good. I mean, and and then why is it okay to do that? I mean, can I can I just say philosophically, why is it okay to impose on the jazz idiom, right? And not the other way around, you know? Right. The gospel tent is a sacred hall. Oh, hey, gospel fans that are here at the gospel tent, uh, we got this guy. He believes in Jesus, but he's a modern jazz guy. He's going to play now. And it's Charlie. This is. 30 years ago. It's Charlie Parker. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's going to be on heroin. Right, yeah, he's going to be high while he's doing it. He believes in God. They would not let that happen. They're not, they're not going to let it happen. And, 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 and it does get to the larger point. Like, why, why is it that the jazz-themed stuff has no barrier of protection from, uh, from, from genre encroachment. It's kind of like uh, NFL players thanking God and getting away with it on the sidelines. The blues tent does too. Yeah. It's not all blues acts in, in the blues tent. You know, They get like straight rock and roll acts that go in there. So uh, I want to get the last, the last thing about uh, my Jazz Fest experience is something I talked to you about before. And it's a little side note that I thought we'd we move on mm -hmm. from the jazz. Okay. Jazz yeah, sure. If you're ready. No, I'm I'm totally ready. Go ahead, man. Um, it's super hot out there, and I'm not a hat guy. Like, dude, can I? The fedoras are killing me. All these dudes with the fedoras. All of a sudden. Well, it's been going on for a while. But now everybody's got them. No. In New Orleans, I have a, a thing. I posted this, and we're going to get to that. Uh, to this, but it was part of that that whole Facebook rant that we're about to talk about. Yeah. And uh, I, I I went on YouTube and I found the scene from Jim Jarmusch's Down by Law. Yeah. Where uh, where Tom Waits is like sitting on the on the street corner, 
drinking a pint of Jim Beam. And I said, you see this scene right here? You don't realize like how powerful this was to all these different people across America. This sure. movie is one, it, like it didn't make any money and it wasn't a hit or anything, but it is. It's one of my it's favorite like movies. Pink, Pink like Floyd's The Wall or something like that. Sure, it's, it's like top five movies for me. It, it, it resonates with this, the romance of the down and out, you know? Sure. And, and the funny thing is, I, for me, I'm like, see, this is the scene right here that launched the movement. And he's, he's got his fedora on. But can I say that? And if you look at him yeah. right now, if you look at that scene yes. right now, right. and you look at the styles that are going on, it's, it's, a, it's basically a carbon copy, man. That's a trip. He's got tattoos, he's got the fedora, and he's got like a knit shirt. Well, let's talk on. about Tom Waits for a second, because that persona is just that. It's he's Not a, outside of the movie, and his music as well. He's a theater guy. That's right. He's a theater guy who lives in L.A. and enjoys living in L.A. He's not... He lives in the down, burbs. He's not, he's not a down-and-out drunkard that all these people who are like, I'm like Tom Waits, I'm a, a down-and-out drunkard loser with my wife beater and fedora. And that's not that's not who he is. No, it's it's not. You know, I mean, it's, I love Tom Waits. I love his music. I like it. I really like his music. And Down by Law is one of my favorite movies. Well, it's really kind of absurd, in a way. I mean, it, it would be as though like like if tomorrow you saw me dressed as Ziggy Stardust, you know. <laughs> yeah, on, and and I was like, I was like, what do you mean? This is da- this is what David Bowie is. Right. He's a, he's Ziggy Stardust. Right. And, and and it stayed right there. Yeah. At that moment in Ziggy's in in David Bowie's career, and it never left. Right. And that's it. That's good. It, yeah. That would be absurd, right? I have the eye makeup on. That's right. That's hey right. Joel, how you doing, man? The wig, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's retarded. That's exactly what it's like. People it is, and, and they, they just keep perpetuating it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, it's true what you're saying. The fedora is a is is a part of that. And and can I say something too? They're not even real fedoras, because yeah. when you look at the photos from like the 30s and 40s, yeah, those were full brim fedoras that men wore at the time. These are like fedora pork pie hat combos. Yeah. Right? They got little tiny little brims yeah. on them, you know. I haven't even. But I don't, don't want to harp on it too much because I got buddies that wear that stuff you know it's yeah. a style and everything but at the same time it's like everybody's rocking it you know I, I gotta say man and I'm not I'm not above like being self-conscious about not self but just aware of fashion and also of just independent and personal style and this gets back a little bit to the hat I was wearing or whatever but I got I ain't no one dressing like me out of the jazz fest man like whatever it is I just have I just have this thing where I got these polyester pants that I cut off into shorts and I got these vintage shirts and that are like button downs but they don't, don't have style they're just fucking old shirts that and that you just don't you know but isn't there another component to that outfit as well well I'm, but I had to I don't I don't wear hats I don't wear baseball caps or any kind of hat because I got a big ass head like when I graduated from high school they measured me out at like eight and one quarter something crazy like I have a huge fucking skull so I can't <laughs> do it. it's really big so I just can't wear hats you know and I'm fortunate enough to have a decent head of hair so I'm like fuck man I'm just gonna rock my skull as is you know make sure my hair's long enough so you don't see how I made the mistake of shaving my head one time so the full skull was 
There, it was it was ugly, dude. It was bad. It was like those, uh, like that episode of Star Trek with the big head guys. Yeah, or maybe. You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. They had the big Star giant Trek. heads. But like one of them Road Warrior movies, one of those big. Oh, like that, <laughs> that kind of guy. <laughs> oh, the, the big guy who Mel Gibson killed or was about to kill. With the oh, the ones who are gay movie. lovers. No. The gay biker guys. No, the uh, <laughs> the guy who had the who the midget, the dwarf controlled the big, yeah, s- strong guy. Yeah, the gay like, biker guys. No. Yeah, they were gay. Thunderdome, Thunderdome. When uh, what's her name? The Ike Turner used to be was in. Tina Turner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she controlled Thunderdome. <laughs> Mel Gibson went up in there and got fucking Jewish racist racist on that retarded dude who had a big head like mine. <laughs> Once he took the, like he's about to kill him, he takes the mask off. Oh, the I head see. Off, yeah. And he's got right. the big skull. That was what my skull was. Oh, like. okay. All right. Except all right. my eyes weren't all fucking messed up like his. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, well, uh, but you did but I, have a hat on. Well, I had found, and this is like, it, it seems like I'm trying to be too hip, but I had found this hat at this thrift store, and it was it's a U.S. Postal Service hat, mm-hmm. like a real one, and it happened to be, it's like, not a trucker cap, because I ain't going to wear that, but it's bigger than a regular baseball cap, you know? It was like standard issue at some point, I don't know mm-hmm. when it was standard issue, but it fits my head. It's got the uh, adjustable thing in the back. And it's kind of got like the netting kind of thing mm-hmm. as opposed to the full. And it somewhat fits my head, you know. And out there, you got to, I, I was using 150 sunscreen on Friday. And I was sweating my ass off so much, I still got red. I was using wow. 150 fucking sunscreen. Wow. And so on Saturday, I was like, I got to bust out this hat that I've only worn at Bonnaroo. Right. For kind of similar reasons. And, uh, and people are like, you know, postman what you got you picking up you delivering all this shit I was like you hope I don't go post on your ass with your chair because <laughs> I'm about to <laughs> get your chair out of the way <laughs> and then other people I'd be like oh this is a postman said, yes it's music keeps me when I'm feeling happy and I'm not like trudging through bullshit I'm like yes this music keeps me from going postal and they're like ah yay it's great you know <laughs> but it got me thinking like what I like to do at Bonnaroo as far as having like com- being the, com- the bipolar postman, is carry around my messenger bag. Uh, and the reason I want to do it at Bonnaroo as opposed to Jazz Fest because you want to do it at a place where people are tripping. Sure. Because it fucks with them a little bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, what I'm doing is I'm walking around with my postal outfit, and because all I got to do is wear my my gray polyester cutoffs and my one of my shirts, and I look just like I got you know like I just got off work or whatever from the U.S. Post Office and. And I hand out notes, and all the notes are, I just randomly hand them out. And half the notes in my bag say, have a nice day. And the other half say, we're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be pretty fucking fun. Yeah. You know? That needs to be implemented. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Soon. We'll do that to all well, Bonnaroo's in, in June. There was that instance at Bonnaroo when you had that hat on. And those people came up and they were like, are you the post office? And they were trying to give me a postcard. And they were trying to give you a postcard. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) And I think you said, you said, I am, but I'm off duty right now. No, you know what I said? There's some other guys around here. I said, I am, (laughs) but I'm only delivering. I'm only delivering. That's right. (laughs) That's great. I'm not picking up. That was such a trip, man. 
<laughs> that dude, it's weird when you see someone as wasted as a guy. And the funny thing is, you and I were working. We were conducting a freaking interview. You were behind the camera. I was interviewing our subject. That's right. And he, I, I had caught him at my periphery. He stood there for five solid minutes as we were wrapping up an interview. It's just like I'm going to be asking this guy right here. The guy talking I think I can to the get person my message who's out. in front of the camera right. must work for the post office right? because of his cap. I got to give him this postcard. Yeah. Yeah. And he, was, <laughs> oh, he had like the thousand yard stare. And, and they do have a post office there. They do. Exactly. That's the funny thing. That is. Yeah. And, that, and maybe that's the reason they got confused. They're like, oh, there's, because you hear that's a post office. But That's right. That's right. Anyway, well, good. it's funny. Yeah. Did you want to touch on anything else? No. Nah, it, it was a good weekend out at Jazz Fest. Well, oh. and, and then I wanted to tell you about this is that one yeah. of the things that happens around Jazz Fest time, too, and I had this funny experience because I didn't go any days this mm -hmm. weekend at all. And uh, it's just, you know, for me, I'm like, I looked at the schedule and I, you know, I just thought for the amount of money, you got to blow a hundred dollars, you know, I mean, it's going to be a hundred bucks per day. And, you know, I did my know? bag just to reiterate, I did my thing this time, sorry to cut you off, but where I, uh, I didn't look at the schedule. That's right. Which, which is cool. That's Until cool I walked shit. in. Right. Eh, you know, some of my friends weren't getting it, but I was like, yeah, you know, I can make this. But you got this brass pass, you know, so yeah. it can facilitate that, right? I'm, I'm donating to OZ. Like, That's right. So the 450, like 200 goes to the radio station. So, But anyway. I mean, for me, yeah. I was like, you know, I mean, I just looked at it and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I mean, Tom Petty, uh, most of the main acts I had seen before, yeah. you know, and, and, and so anyway, I also had two gigs this weekend. Yeah. On Friday oh, and right. on Saturday. How those go? You know, that man, the Circle Bar gig was great. You know, yeah. it's, it's something magical about that place that uh, we we always have just had these stone cold freaking rocking shows over there where everybody's just like going nuts. Yeah. You know, and uh, we had a great show. It's a little bit more oddly enough at Bank Street Bar. It's a little bit more stayed. You huh. know, and I think people were just kind of tired you know and from from the fest there was just a weird vibe it was like really hard to get people to get out on the dance floor and 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 really like turn it into an energetic like you know but great when show I, but when i saw you on saturday you, the, the circle bar show was friday night you said you were rocking it out like you were doing you were doing rock and roll hero movies. i was yeah 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 i had that man i had the flying v like out in front of me nice. and i was like bending the neck you know from the headstock you know nice. woo, woo, woo. And that's Dave. And I was like looking at chicks, you know, and stuff, you know, like <laughs> as point, I was doing line. it. Yeah, yeah, I was doing a point every now and again, <laughs> you know, and, and like it was all the rock and roll tricks, man. You got to do them, you know. And, and, you know, anyway, you know, and the but but the funny thing about it is that like uh, the jazz fest stirs up a lot of emotions and a lot of like different weird conversations that that go on, <laughs> especially in regard to uh, New Orleans. I'm friends with a guy. Uh, his name's Michael Pat Patrick Welch. You might have heard of him. He also uh, refers to himself as the White Bitch, <laughs> and and he's a uh, he's a he's a musician also. He's originally from Florida. He's been here ten or eleven years, something like that. And anyway, you know, he's a music writer and you know a gun for hire in media, and and he's written a couple of books. And uh, anyway, this is what happened: is that. There was this uh, Facebook thing that went out. Michael put it out, and okay. and it was, you know, there's some active Facebookers who are kind of n people who are, you know, they're they're personalities that are known in New Orleans, and Michael's one of them, and and so he he put out this thing, and he's like, you know, can you guys stop texting me with mean 
uh, with these mean texts about me being this other guy on Facebook who calls himself John Cock, like like John Locke, but with Cock. So C-O-C-K-E. he's not C K E. So Michael is not John Cock. But people were trying to but say this, he was. This that's right. But he this, had two identities. That's right because avatar this, this band, this band, uh, Mesquia mm-hmm. Lake. Right, who okay. is, uh, you know, a somewhat recently arrived act into New Orleans. I'm not sure where they're from. Um, uses some local musicians, some musicians who are, you know, recently arrived. Okay. And uh, and and so anyway, for me, that's a dime a dozen, man. I mean, that stuff happens all the time in New Orleans, and you know, you could reach back all the way through the '90s, and there's a constant influx of coming and going of these kinds of acts all the time and as i've said you know they they leave town when they realize that there's actually no money to be made in new orleans right and uh, so it's so it's like uh anyway getting back to the story michael uh is basically trying to defend himself by saying i'm not this guy john cock he's going on facebook and saying for all you haters who are texting me how do they how do they these are people who well, know well, him. Well, and then weirdly enough, they're like text texting under? from somehow like, like it seemed tweets? almost like a coordinated attack. Weird. You know, like some like like that there was some real paranoia going on here where 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 they're like, yeah, when our when our gig comes up, that's when we'll coordinate this like texting and let Michael know that we're aware that he's John that Cock. you are John Cock and you're writing under the pseudonym to so you can have more pointed rants because what what John right. Cock writes is like they're just it's just like f bomb filled rants you know do about you enjoy, is it good do you like it I actually you, I where do. do you stand on John Cock I do my my stance on John Cock is that I and, and I wrote this when I got on there I got involved in it you know I said I said look man if I'm not where do you stand on John Cock and where do you stand on John Cock I on the tip. Um, that's right. Exactly. On the hard, erect tip. <laughs> I, I got on there and I said, look, man, if I'm not in the lineup, I really should be. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm like, I mean, you should be suspecting me. Yeah. You know, because, because the basic rant that the guy was saying is like, what's happening with New Orleans music? He's like, okay. you know, and, and, and to be fair, it's like, he's like, look, man, you basically have three things. And he points them out. It's like... You have tired meters rehash, all right? Okay. And and brass band rehash. Okay. Now by doing that, if he is a local, he's attacking people who are also locals who grew up here, predominantly. Yep. Right. So what about them? Yep. That's selfish to think that you're the only one that's being attacked here because you're not, right? And then he's like, and then we have like cover bands that are, and I know he's talking about like Molly Ringwalds and some of these other acts that are like from Metairie. Yeah. You know, and they paint their faces and dress up, you know, and they're like dressed like a piece of bread. And so there's all kind of these like conceptual kooky, cover bands. Yeah, they're like weird conceptual cover bands, like, mm-hmm. like, but not conceptual in the way that you're thinking, like where they cover one specific band like Thin Lizzy, uh-huh. you know, but they're conceptual in the fact that they like dress in costumes okay. that are weirdly related to nothing. <laughs> And, and, but it's some kind of gimmick that they decided that they were going to do, and they do it. And, 
and they've generated like this big followings and like anytime you go to Canafest bra right. or Gentilly Fest dude or <laughs> freaking West Bank bra dude Harahan Fest any of that sh these dudes are playing all right. so he points that out so you got one attack on locals for not you know doing something innovative and new you got a second attack on locals not doing anything sure but then the third attack is reserved for the the transient churn of people who come in from out of town and what governs this is all, the, this is all john cock this is all john cock in this one ranch, ranch. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. like and he's like you know it's, this all represents a deterioration of local new orleans music and okay. and such that we're only able to like reach into the past and to look at this the glorious history of a couple of waves of really great of incredible musical talent and and creativity and production that were represented really like two renaissance eras you know of jazz and then the emergence of rock and roll from new orleans in the late 40s and 50s and and he's like he's like you know that that's what you have and he's like these guys are dying out right here and then we're replaced with the shit Right here, and then he proceeds to just take all of that stuff and like toss it in a trash can and f bomb all of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Which and is not, that's, and not that's a what he popular does. Uh, opinion. Well, it's not popular if you're like not if you're not from here, you know. But 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 the the problem which I pointed out in one of my posts is like, you know, this is what New Orleans does to people who are really concerned about their authenticity who come here right. is uh, they're, they're like, they are also like crabs in a bucket trying to fight it out about who is the most authentic dude from out of town huh. who recently arrived. And there was just a slew of like these, uh, I mean, these, like these arguments of like, well, I've been in town for 11 years and Whoa. well, it shouldn't matter that I've only been in town for two years but but here's the overall point overall point is that the entire tone is incredibly defensive right and and what that says to me is that it, it, it's very important for these people to have this identity that they've chosen for themselves the identity itself is something that is ha is a projection it's it's an already formed opinion about the city of New Orleans that they have uh, synthesized from wherever they're from over a long period of time of you know listening to certain types of music attri falsely attributing certain things to New Orleans like the Tom Waits thing right you know which is really a Los Angeles thing right exactly which he couldn't really care less if it's considered a cultural Los Angeles iconic by, by the way that, that, that movie had barely nothing to do with New Orleans I never. It's just. I, I love. I Orleans. love New Orleans, but I never associated that movie with New Orleans. It's got Roberto Benigni in it. Right. It's a. It, what, what is? It has not. I mean, it really is the only. The only thing. It's I, just the only, whimsically attached to New it's Orleans. Whimsically attached. The, the opening credits, is the the only time you really feel New Orleans, and that's it. I think it was more about setting. Yeah. You know, and and about creating a, a noirish atmosphere. That's exactly what which it was. Which he, which I think that he felt, but I don't. It, it's uh, it's obvious that he tries to get John Laurie to do a uh, a New Orleans accent. Yeah. You know, and I can hear that. I, I think that's the actor's name. Yeah, but, um, John Laurie. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And 
And he's trying his best, and I appreciate that. That's that, that's fine. I love the film. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it's not. It's I don't, not I'm not going to hate it. Film is all I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm not going to hate it as a work of art because it's like, because of what it spawned. I scream. We scream. Oh, scream, scream for I, I scream. scream. And somebody wrote that in the Facebook <laughs> post. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, oh, oh you know, God. it's great. I know, but I'm like. But it's that romance of, of down and out thing, yeah. which is really what people in New or- real New Orleanians, which I can say they do exist, yeah. they are here, and it is definable. And I'm sorry if that's not accepted as true by certain people. Can you shed you some know? light, man? Yeah. What, what's this, when people are saying who's more authentic, I know you're, that's not exactly the point you're trying to make, but, I, but I'm curious, like, I think about like Teresa Anderson and Ander- Anders Osborne, <laughs> like because they came together. Who's more authentic? Like, well, yeah, right, care. right. I, I mean, they're two. What, where are they from? Sweden or something? No, I know. I I prefer to just do it like this, man. Is is like like uh, right? Exactly. I mean, that's where you're from. You cannot change where you're from. Right. That's it. But there is something that you have to acknowledge. Yeah. You have to acknowledge that there are people from here. Right. They are, they're, because there are grammar schools <laughs> and preschools. They got hospitals. Where and they, they have babies. hospitals where their where babies, babies are made, right, exactly, and birthed, and all of this stuff. People and juke do, joints. People do come people from New Orleans. There is such a thing. And, and, and that's the thing that's always bizarre to me is that uh, in, in that milieu of the, the constant churn of transients coming into New Orleans from other places yeah. is that uh, the, the striving to know that that exists and that most of what you, your projected image of the city comes from is from things that those people generated, um, it, it seems to be completely lost in yeah. that crowd. And, 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 and so uh, what happens, the end result is they themselves get into arguments about who is and who isn't the most authentically New Orleans. It's insane. Right? Which is, which is insane, all right? Because it is, the, it is the equivalent of me trying to move to Cincinnati. Right. And in one year of being in Cincinnati saying, I am an authoritative expert on what it means to be from Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, and I've brought something here. You guys don't know this. But, but here is my vision of Cincinnati as expressed through some band, you know? I mean, it's so crazy. I took some things that I saw y'all was doing, like whatever, brass band or whatever it is, your street culture, and I turned it into this band and checked me out. That kind of thing? I mean, is that what? what? Yeah, it's, it's basically like that. I, and, and it's really more like stylistically what I'm doing belongs in New Orleans. Uh-huh. That's the conclusion that a lot of And these maybe I have, have a solution for New Orleans or a direction well, for New well, Orleans? I, is there you know, kind of I, I'll, I'll say that there is an element of that as well, you know, but I don't think on the artistic front it is, but, but, but somehow like I saw there was a group also called like Appalachia Rising, you know, and it yeah. was like, like two girls. They're, they're clearly part of like the dog and, and you know, funk ball. Fobo, Crusty set, and it's called Appalachia Rising. Okay. 
And then on the Facebook page, so these are the crusties. Like, they're, what they, they're the ones that have the dogs with them. Yeah, the, the dogs. And it's a whole movement of uh, mm-hmm. you know neo anarchists. It's it's just an, it's an you know what, not related to gutter punks. What I what I call gutter oh, punks same, when I first moved same here. thing. You know, well, when you first moved here, they were different. Yeah, it was a different thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, we could get into that, but I don't you know kind of yeah. want to stay on this this like what they are now. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and and they they're just you know. They got their own thing that they're doing, and, and they got a big projection of what New Orleans is to them, and it's about you know living off the grid, and I don't have to have an ID, and you know our industrialized society is bad and everything. Right. We, yeah. They, so they 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 do have the sense that they have like some kind of like you know nebulous solution to everything, which. Is like you know if we all lived by like you know not wasting all of this refuse and like taking stuff out of the garbage can and eating it, <laughs> you know that we'd we'd be a much more uh, efficient and less wasteful society. Right, right. And that that could well be true, you know, but but not many. But people that's are just one go, part of it. This, this that's whole just one like part authenticity. Of it, deal that you're talking about is, is everyone, <laughs> right, everyone totally trying, getting off on a tangent it's, it's, it's all these different types of people trying to claim New Orleans as their own is that yeah that's right they and, are and then, and they then are making trying their case to do for that why, on, on, making their case for why they or their vision of New Orleans is the I would say if, if, if yes if you could boil down the, the way that the arguments were going down it was basically like that and, it, and there was a really kind of you know a funny aspect of why am I being attacked? Why, why does everybody attack me? Because I'm not from here. And I'm like... Is that your all caps impersonation? I, what is it it <laughs> kind of is, yeah. But I mean, there weren't that many people doing all caps. Oh, but, okay. but also, I'm like, I'm like wow, it's funny because those of us who are from here are feeling the same way about you. Right. Because as we were talking about before, like, you're from North Carolina. And, and well, so I was saying, it's like, about, there, the there are people who yeah. come here who, and, and admittedly, New Orleans is one of these places in the world. It draws people in. And there are other cities that are like this, you know, Paris, London, New York, other places in the world. They, they, are, they are lightning rods for projection of what people think that they are before they arrive gotcha you know and so people go to paris and they're like shocked when somebody's like rude to them as a tourist sure you know or some crap like that rome is like that as well you know yeah. rome the city of romance uh, pff, really you know i i suppose you know it's great yeah. but you know these these are all projections they're sense. preformed opinions yeah. about about certain places that are uh cultural epicenters and, and New Orleans is one of those places. And so yeah. when they arrive, they, yeah. they have that notion. What? Well, I can't blame yeah. them for that. It is what it is. But that's interesting. I mean, if I can, t- my, my personal story is that, you know, I definitely consider myself a nullophile. I love New Orleans. I've adopted New Orleans. It's, it's my home. And I love, and I understand that there's this weird, there's this, I'm part of this, these people who like have fallen in love with Second Lines and with Mardi Gras Indians and with street culture here and whatever else. And, and the fact that it's the birthplace of jazz and the fact that there's kids coming up today going through, through, through NOCA who are the, I mean, I've seen it, you know, in the, in, the, in the 15 years that I've been in and out of New Orleans, I've seen kids become incredible jazz players. And it's a, a, a music form that's important to me, 
right? right. So I love New Orleans, man. But for me, I, I didn't move here with any impression of what it was going to be. It's almost like my approach to Jazz Fest this year where I'm not looking at the schedule. I had no idea what New Orleans was. I didn't read about it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't really kind of want to know anything about it. I kind of came on a whim. I thought, that, you know, I thought that it was going to be European. I thought it was going to be Caribbean. I thought it was going to be black. I thought it was going to be Southern. I thought it was going to be all these things. I thought it was just going to be, you know, I guess I had heard that there's a, you know, that, that, that it when here's maybe the one impression I had. When you're in New Orleans, you don't feel like you're in the United States. And that's what I wanted. You know, I think I probably didn't want it. I wanted to feel like I was somewhere outside of uh, the of the Ronald Reagan years that I kind of grew up in. And and and, then, uh, and there's a lot of people like you that you live know. here. But but this is what I would say. I think is the defining characteristic that makes it different. Yeah. To me, is that you're living by the Prime Directive. You know, that's the. That's the Star Trek thing, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> if I could just go <laughs> super nerd Second right now. Star Trek reference. I love I it. I know, but we were talking about it earlier. I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. the perfect way of describing it because the prime directive is observe, don't interfere. Right. And you can love it for that. And right. you're observing and you're not interfering and you, you, you aren't attempting to change. To change. Now, the, the, other, yeah. the other part of it, if if you violate the prime directive and that this is what that is this is what the whole idea was in star trek it is it's a <laughs> colonial statement it is right. i'm right. telling you that's what gene Roddenberry was getting at when he's like talking about these things okay. like, the prime directive is we we've learned the lesson of the past about the destruction of colonialism so it's important that we not violate that again Right. So we've made that a law now that you can't do that. And it's a high law because it's so destructive. Right. And we don't want that to happen. So, if so you, you must live so by what the, is prime the prime directive. directive. The prime directive is observe and don't interfere. But isn't it all, you, you said something like uh, if, you, if you come into a civilization that is as... Uh, advanced as you, you, you don't well, make Well, that's in known. the context of their science fiction, gotcha. you know, right, which is like, well, like, they're, they're like, if they know that they're more technologically advanced, yeah. like, that was the thing that they were really worried about, like, we can't expose them to this, like, ma you know, how far ahead we are I technologically, because gotcha. they'll, it'll whereas, just screw up their heads. Whereas you know? with me, it's just the opposite, because I'm so far behind, uh, not in a not in the <laughs> technology realm, but in like the spiritual and soulful. Like when I first moved here, uh, two two things. Gen generally speaking, and then I'll give you a specific example. Because uh, you you were talking to me, to me about this earlier, and and I feel like I call New Orleans home, but I struggle with feeling like I belong, and I think that's a healthy thing for me. I, I don't I don't assume that this is my town. I think that anybody who's from anywhere else that Sh goes to any other city... Should not city, assume like this is their town. Any other city will and feel that way. Particularly with New Orleans when, 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 it, when the history and the culture is so rich. Right. And I had nothing to, nothing to do with that. And all I want to do is not fuck it up. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I can advance things here because I can't. I want, I want to absorb and, and observe 
and participate yeah. without fucking it up. Right. It's like all the movies with the time machine where you go back in time and it's like, don't touch anything because then the present day is going to be all fucked up and backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it, that corollary. It's like when I, when I first got here, I had the good fortune, like I moved here in 1994, had this dude, Scott Methersmith, who I'd met in Flagstaff, Arizona, who's a, like a prodigy drummer. He's playing with Michael Ward, who since passed, who I did a bunch of blow with, and he passed away. Oh, dude, man. Uh, I used to I, love that dude. Michael Ward, man. It, I was hanging out with Michael you know Ward funny? at Snake and Jake's, and he went and passed out at his house, and he died. And and this is some deep New Orleans shit, because you, you and I are talking about this right now, and we know that yeah. we're talking about Michael Ward, the percussionist. Yes. And not Michael Ward, the, the violinist. Guy. That's right. The jazz violinist. That's oh. right. And and so he he was uh, Scott Mettersmith was kind of like a, a Michael Ward was kind of mentoring him a little bit, and he was a prodigy, and uh, he's from he's one of these kids who's from here, he's from uptown, and I mean you can speak to being from here, man. But he, I mean I, I know several people that that had to just leave because for whatever reason, I don't want to get down go down that path. But there are some people who grew up here and who just have to leave. And Scott was one of those people. But Scott introduced me because he was this prodigy percussionist. He introduced me to uh, Mardi Gras Indian practices. Because right. I moved here in January. Right. Mardi Gras, I didn't even know what Mardi Gras was. And it was in February. And we were going down to Treme. And we were going into bars and checking out practices. And it was like me and Scott and maybe Jumpin' Jay Mazza were the only white dudes in the joint. And I felt like my presence, I feel like I'm fucking shit up. I mean, that was like an early, I, I, never, I, I never felt like this is my place. I felt like don't, don't, I don't know, don't fuck it up. Don't be dumb. Don't. And so part of it was about so, race. Like, don't let your whiteness fuck this up. Well, well and, and let me just say this, too. It's like, you know, if you're, you're just there and you're observing, you know, that's one thing. Right. But but let's take it on. Let, let's I'll give you another example. Yeah. What I'm talking about is this, that if the Mardi Gras Indian guys are practicing. Right. Right. And then a couple of crusties come in. Right. <laughs> and start dancing like Jerry Garcia noodling. Shit. And they're like, actually, like we're soupies. supposed to be we, we fit in with this, too. And, and we're, gonna, we're jumping in. And we're going to grab a tambourines. tambourines. <laughs> exactly. And, they start and, and they're right. in it. And they're playing the rhythms completely incorrect, and they don't even understand that like every tune that's in there has got a cultural significance and, and a deep right. a deep meaning to people that are that are participating in this in this thing that they have no clue and they're and they're just in there and they're not aware of any of that stuff and they're not even making an attempt to learn about it. They're yeah. just there to say, actually we can participate in this too in our way and it's for you to accept us right now that's very different that is you know what that is yeah. that is colonialism right that's what that is you do see that, that is man. the invasion of people who want to impose themselves onto what's happening here and that's very different that's not the prime directive that's violation of the prime <laughs> directive right. completely. Yeah. And I think it's very, very important for people who aren't from here to understand the difference between those things. Yeah. Because if you're getting into the deep, real New Orleans shit, you should leave it alone. 
yeah. should just fucking leave it alone. Don't yeah. worry yourself about I, what people who are from here are doing and what they, yeah. a, a, you know, if, if you're in and people are cool, if you're being cool, then it's cool. Yeah. All right. But that is like, that's some uncool shit right there. And sure. I see that more and more in these things where, you know, and, well, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, we, we are uh, in New Orleans uh, polite to a fault sometimes where we let uh, a bunch of bullshit go. We let a bunch of bullshit go because we, we don't want bad feelings. Quick side know? note on that. Yeah, sure. Superdome Saints game. You look at Eagles Raiders worst places in the NFL to go as an opposing fan because you'll get your ass kicked. Best place to go as an opposing fan is right here. Oh, there's for the exact reason you're saying. No question about it, man. Because you will just be because polite, we're welcoming, and we're also kind of like fascinated by like Cincinnati, where that is. <laughs> if you get your ass beat by the New Orleans Saints, you've done something. Okay, wrong. and you're here, say like as a Washington Redskins fan, right, or something like that. You might have a grandma come up to you and hug you <laughs> after the game. That's right. And you're going to be all uncomfortable and standoffish because you're from the Northeast. And you're like, yeah. why is this person that I don't know like giving me like affection and touching me <laughs> right. right now? But she's just like, I understand what it's like to lose because I'm from a town where we've lost lots of shit. A bunch. That's yeah. right. Uh -huh. And and I want to let you know that we, we feel for you on that front. You know, <laughs> now your job is to hug her back. That's the thing. And, and to receive that and understand, right. you know, what, what you shouldn't do is be rude to her. Right. Because then you'd be in violation of the prime directive <laughs> yet again. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, don't violate the prime directive in New Orleans. Or so any, or so I wanted to clarify that because there was so much nonsense going on. And I, and I used it as, a, as an opportunity on these Facebook rants to, to promote the gig. Because uh, that was my lesson to everyone who uh, was on there as a true New Orleanian. You know, yeah. it's like, I was like, see, all y'all are talking all this shit about who's authentic and everything. I'm going to promote my gig <laughs> tonight. <laughs> because clearly there's a captive audience here. Right. And I'm not threatened. I'm the most threatening person in here because <laughs> right. I'm the only one that can say I went to high school in New Orleans. <laughs> right. right? Totally. So you're, you're like scared of me. Right. Because I represent something like that uh, to you. Wow, that's funny, and it's funny. intimidating to them, which yeah. is in and of itself absurd. Right, it is. It's just totally freaking absurd. But I, I, I love that, it, you know, that that, I mean, that, that's the kind of absurdity that's going on in New Orleans right now, man. You know? Yeah. And uh, that, that, that set, that click of people that live down in, uh, in the Marigny in the Bywater and like, and even these new names that they give to neighborhoods Holy like St. Rock, which is never a neighborhood. It's right. completely ridiculous. And Holy Cross, which is ridiculous. It's not, that is, Holy Cross is not a neighborhood. Right. Okay. You know why Holy Cross is a neighborhood now? Because white people live in Holy Cross now. And they got to name it. And they, and so they gave it a separate name from where the black people live. 
You know, they left the lower nine, the lower nine. Is that absurd? That happened that after Katrina. fucking absurd. They, that happened, happened after Katrina. Katrina. The part of right. fucking Ninth Ward became Holy Cross. Holy Cross. In there? Holy Cross was the high school that occupied a space in, like, in the lower ninth ward. It sounds ward. like Brooklyn and Portland, the way they fucking divvy up. Or New York. I mean, it is not. Divvy up fucking neighborhoods. There was, the, that entire area is the lower ninth ward. There is no historic... Holy Cross. Of course. None. It's just made up nonsense. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah, whatever. You know? Let him fight it out on Facebook. That's what they'll do. I'll be out rocking out with my flying V. To show. 20 people. (laughs) 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 Alright, dude. That was fun. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. We'll right. uh, be back next week for, uh, I guess, Jazz Fest uh, edition number, number two. two. Yep. You going to make it out of the fairgrounds, you think? For I, I'll today? definitely make it out one day, probably Saturday, maybe Sunday. How about Thursday, Locals Day? Oh, no, you know what? Thursday is the day that I'm going. The fucked up thing is Locals Day. <laughs> the headliner is the Eagles on Locals Day. I'm not even worried about that because actually they have this act from Molly. Okay. And I thought of all the things that I saw in the entire festival, that's the one that I want to see more than anything else. Um, if it's the same act, I mean, there's got to be more than one act from Molly. It's like she comedy. But I've seen an Molly. act from Molly out there before. It's sick. It's it's, it's, be. it's one thing that, you know thing that one of the things I love about Jazz Fest, man, is the groups they bring from Africa. Well, it's, and, and it's, unfortunately, it's, it's it's less than it's, it used to be in the past. It's, well, sure, that it's less it's less jazz than it used to be. It's less right. all this shit, but. It's still there, and you know, as much as I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with that Native American village, that was just sad and a sad walkthrough. But now that they've changed that to the Jazz and the Heritage stage, uh, again, that that, that 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 was an improvement. At least there's a place for brass bands and yeah, right, Indians. right, 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 definitely. Um, not Native Americans. But Indians. Right, right. Exactly. Mardi <laughs> Indians. Yeah, totally right. Different. Yeah, completely totally different things. Right. Uh, all right. Well, is that about it? That's it, man. That's good another one. good episode. Yeah, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, and we'll uh, see you next time.